What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Dean with you here. What's up, everybody? Zach over here. Yo, yo. How you doing, Zach? Good, man. How are you doing? Very good. Always good when we get to uh, drop a new episode. And uh, especially when it's one, you know, that's like a very kind of up my alley kind of conversation, very spiritual. Yes. Lots of uh, beautiful wonderings and musings and wisdom came out in this episode. So I'm excited to share this one with y'all. Tell us about this week's episode, Dean. Ooh, well, you're going to want to listen in. We, uh, we caught up with an amazing person, Hero de Michelis. Uh, she's an incredible thought leader in terms of just being open with her spirituality uh, and really um, took me by surprise in terms of where the conversation went. And uh, I just, I, it was just so kind of enlightened by the whole thing. We, we started by uh, sharing some delicious hummus and olives and sitting on the back patio and uh, just talking about the beauty of the sunshine and the world around us. And that led into a conversation about the divine and it just kind of like kept moving forward throughout our whole conversation that we eventually uh, recorded. And yeah, I just loved it. We get into... The healing, healing pain, finding God, having hospitality for suffering. Yeah. I'll just say that part again. Having hospitality for suffering. Uh, science of happiness. Um, one, one thing that I love that we kind of was a theme, the fish doesn't know it's in water. And uh, sometimes we don't know we're in pain or, um, you know, we try to, the idea that, uh you know, the fish doesn't know it's in water and, and the fish could try to cultivate water, not knowing that it's in water. And I think that's um, kind of part of our spiritual experience. Sometimes we, you know, search for for connection or source, not knowing that it's it's here here all along. So we get into, as Hero calls, the, the chubby one mm-hmm. and uh, kind of explore um, pain and healing and and connecting with source, whatever language you want to apply to that. So it's a, a deep and winding conversation that uh, left me feeling full, left my cup uh, kind of overflowing. So yeah, Hero kind of tends to have that effect with people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, she's someone that, that really is dialed in and invites you to see the curiosity and the wonder in the world all around us. Uh, she's creating platforms for beauty, joy, and liberation which is uh, all wonderful things. Founder of um, the Lab of Meditation, which you can follow along at Instagram at the Lab of Meditation, and it's a uh, yeah two hundred two hundred hour meditation meditation teacher training, um, and just there's always beautiful insights and wisdoms that she shares there, as well as on her own personal IG. If you follow her, she's uh, currently on a meditative sabbatical. Across the Baja. There you go. So follow her journeys. Um, yeah, it's a conversation that I'm going to revisit. Uh, Hero is someone that I really look up to in this space. So it was a real joy to, to connect. Yeah, definitely. We know you're going to love it. All right. Before we get into this week's episode, we want to give space for this week's sponsors. Mm-hmm. This week, we're proud to be sponsored by AG1. We, uh, we love AG1. We drink it every day. It's just that uh, kind of classic 
morning ritual, simple hack that you can do that uh, you know is doing a tremendous amount of good for your body. I mean, both of us, Zach, we've tried so many different types of supplements and, you know, experimenting with different things, but AG1 is kind of like one solution to support the whole body and to support whole body health, which is great. Um, I really noticed, like, drinking it, that um, my my hair and nails like seem to be growing faster, which is crazy. You just got your haircut. I know. Because, and it like, it does really seem to grow faster. I think that, you know, you're just getting all of those minerals and vitamins that we often like don't get enough of or simply don't get from diet alone. Um, and it is, it's like that kind of one stop shop for everything you need to just support your health. Um, I, I love it. And it tastes great. Like, it's so good. I love to shake it up in the morning. And now I've just been like pouring it into a tall like glass over ice. And it's so enjoyable. It's my drink of choice. Yeah. We talk, always talk about, you know, stacking good habits. Mm-hmm. And uh, I honestly feel like starting with AG1 starts my day with my best foot forward. Feel good. Puts me in a good mood. Supports my immunity. Helps recovery. Supports my digestion. It's just kind of my all-in-one to, to make sure that um, I'm able to bring my best self forward every day. So yep. it's my favorite daily habit, AG1. Dean, how can how can our listeners make it their favorite daily habit too? That's right. You know you're going to want to get on the AG1 train with us. And if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and you'll get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. All you got to do is go to drinkag1.com slash more good. That's drinkag1.com slash more good. Check it out, friends. You're going to want to get on the AG1 wagon. All right. This week's episode is also brought to you by Caldera Lab. We're really excited to partner with them because we all know that first impressions matter. And if you're not taking care of your skin, that's going to be the first thing someone notices and instantly either thinks you're way older than you are or you just don't care about your appearance. So show them that you do. And make a great first impression with Caldera Lab. You're going to brush your teeth today. And, you know, you want to do these things, that uh, these little habits that help. And skin care is just as important as tooth care, as all that kind of stuff. So you got to have your routine dialed in. And Caldera Lab makes it so easy. They've got products that just work. They're simple. And yet they're deeply effective and so clean that you could almost eat them. Uh, It's so great. There's three products you want, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. This face face wash leaves all skin types feeling refreshed. The base layer, honestly, my personal favorite, your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin. Jumpstart your day full of confidence. It just feels so good on, makes my skin look good. It doesn't feel like you've got stuff on your face. It just absorbs so nicely. And then the good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night, helping your skin look tight and smooth, reducing visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of this magic serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. Honestly, I I love it so much, Gene. I look forward to... Starting my day and ending my day with Caldera Lab. Um, and, you know, we often talk about you are what you eat, mm. but uh, your skin is your biggest or- organ and its appearance can say a lot about your overall health. So 
Not only are you what you eat, but you're also what you put on your skin. And I, for one, don't want to be putting a bunch of synthetic products on my skin, knowing that's my biggest organ and my body's going to absorb all these synthetic products, ingredients that I can't even say, pronounce, uh, you know, the ingredients. You know, exactly. if, if, you, if you don't know what they are, you probably don't want them on your skin. So when putting products on your skin, consider that natural is probably best definitely the best and really it's one minute in the morning and at night it's all it takes to reduce those wrinkles those fine lines and just to do something good for yourself feels good helps you look good let's go what more could you want all right so how how do we get uh, some caldera lab in our life Dean? there you go for our audience we have an exclusive offer and this is honestly their best offer available anywhere use more good at calderalab.com and get 20 percent off right now that's right, 20% off with the code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. Make an unforgettable first impression that leads to the charming words, you look great, or you're looking younger these days. 20% off at Caldera Lab with the code MOREGOOD. Get after it, friends. There we go. On to this week's episode. All right, all right. Welcome back to another week of A Little More Good. I'm sitting here with Hero Demichelis. Did I get that right? Did I say it right? That was so good. Okay. So perfect. Okay. I thought you were Italian there for Oof. a sec. <laughs> I'm doing the, the kiss with my hands here. Um, so we're, I'm sure we're going to take this conversation in, in many directions from mindfulness to, to meditation, uh, breath work to... You know, some of the work you do, uh, you Masters of Science and Positive Psychology. I mean, that's so interesting on its own. But, um, you know, as we were conversing and uh, before the podcast started, um, a kind of a light bulb went off. And I just wanted to kind of share this, this idea. And I thought it could kind of be a starting point for our conversation today. So uh, we had this this guest on, Dr. Russell Kennedy, who's uh, here in Victoria, and we were talking about anxiety and depression and how a lot of these these kind of struggles start with our, our childhood and we can reenact, you know, these traumas through our adult life. And, you know, Dean and I talk a lot about, um, you know, the spiritual paths of life. We explore what God can be, what, you know, universal energy, whatever language, you know, we want to put to this. And we were talking about with Dr. Russell Kennedy how all anxiety starts with separation anxiety. And then we were kind of getting to the spiritual, Dean and I, in our, in our own explorations. And we were talking about how when, before we're born, you know, we're, we believe that we're with source, with God, with the universe, whatever you want to call it. And then we are manifested into, into a life form in this, on this planet in the womb of our mothers, and then we're born. And we're talking about the original anxiety is that separation from source, from God, when we were born. And our purpose in life, this is us just armchairing, blue skying, is to reconnect to that source. And that would heal our anxiety to reconnect to, to source. So that's my long-winded way to kind of like set the table for the conversation today of going from, from pain and trauma and being hurt and exploring that on our path to, to God, to a spiritual connection or some sort of spiritual faith that 
that we find belief in. Um, and that's what I hope for in this conversation. So maybe we can start with um, start with pain, and hopefully we can we can get to God. Mm-hmm. Work our way up. Work our yeah. way up. Yeah. Well, I want to say first of all, thank you so much for having me here. Of course. Thank you, Zach, and thank you, Dean. It feels exquisite to be here in Steveston. The sun is shining, and we have a plan to go from. <laughs> Pain to the source, pain and the spirit, that sounds like an excellent plan. So thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you do. Uh, thank you. Well, it's our pleasure. So I've, you know, followed, some, I've been following your, your path since we met um, when you had the, the, the meditation center with Anita, Anita the, the den of meditation. Yeah, the moment meditation. The moment meditation. The moment meditation. Take a moment. And um, just finally following your journey of mindfulness and, and, and what you do in counseling and, and all of that and going from healing to flourishing to thriving. And I think in the past, you know, we all experience pain and trauma, but I think especially through the pandemic, I think that was really amplified in people. I think there was a lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of anxiety, a lot of trauma and struggle and a lot of divide, which I think amplified that that pain so maybe we can start with with that steps from from going from pain uh, healing flourishing thriving techniques that can be used to improve our psychological functioning and healing um maybe we can start there Let's start there. First of all, I want to say of all the episodes that you've produced, I wanted to do a little bit of research and mm. which is the one that I listened to? Dr. Russell Kennedy. <laughs> That's so amazing. I can't prepare. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I can't awesome. prepare. Didn't even listen to the one of my dear beloved friend Steph or Kate Horseman. It's like I went for some reason with Dr. Russell. So that feels incredibly congruent and uh, a lot of the things that I heard him discuss with you are things that I feel definitely very touched by and very deeply in congruence with Mm. right so first of all this foundational foundational idea and nonetheless even though it's foundational we tend to still try and run away from that idea and that idea is that pain is like inescapable Mm. it's just chasing us with new new balance shoes it's got the good nikes (laughs) it's running (laughs) faster than us and you know if we keep running and escaping it's just the truth is that that we're gonna set up set ourselves up for some form of defeat Mm. so that's kind of the bad news i mean i don't know if you've noticed right we were talking earlier on the balcony but life hurts life hurts friends and in all the possible ways like you said we just came back from two years of craziness Mm -hmm. we couldn't travel we couldn't go and visit our families my family lives 10,000 kilometers away from here we couldn't do that we couldn't see you know what was happening under our masks if we were smiling or not Kids could not have play dates yeah. and get together into, under little tents. And 
Yeah. And, you know, even before that pandemic, life also hurt even before that. Yes, there was pain before the pandemic. Right? Yeah, definitely. And I believe that it has a lot to do with that idea of separation from, from love, from, from love. So I talk a lot about pain mm. because I think it's, uh, it's important and it's humanizing and it meets us in a place where we're all uh, together in that. Mm. There can be a little bit of a risk and I'm going to take a break uh, for any podcasts that talks about well-being and growing to still try and, you know, escape the mm. pain that runs uh, with New Balance shoes, right? Mm. What, what is, tell us a trick, what is a tool? It's like, I have none, friends. Mm. <laughs> Life will hurt, mm -hmm. but, you know, can we sit down and talk about how are we going to meet uh, pain? What are we, you know, going to um, uh, entertain in terms of conversations and hospitality for that pain? Yes. Is that yeah. a good start? Yeah, how can, we, start. how can we converse <laughs> and share, share a meal with pain? I think we have all of these systems in the society where instead of getting to the root cause of that pain or mm -hmm. acknowledging that it exists, we try to put all these band-aids on mm -hmm. and we never look what's underneath them. And mm -hmm. I think to heal and to thrive, like you talk about, we need to look under that band-aid. Mm, that's a, such a good image, such a good metaphor, right? Uh, we either rip them apart uh, away, we think that you know it's going to heal faster or... We put more, mm. you know, um, and so, yeah, how do we sit down and, and meet this pain? Yeah. Even the, the language I love that you use, like being, being hospitable, like having hospitality towards that. How do we in, almost invite it to, because it's going to come regardless. So how do we ready ourselves? Not in a sense of like, oh, let's anticipate the worst all the time, because for some people that can perpetuate the state of anxiety they live in always worst case scenario, but living with the reality that it's, we're all going to experience it. We're all going to feel loss. We're all going to feel grief and sadness and, you know, the depth of sorrow and seeing that as a way to connect to the deepest part of our humanity with one another. And that that is where we can move towards. That is what we should be open to. Not necessarily saying, Oh, it's all, it's all going to crumble and it's all bad and just never go anywhere, never do anything because something bad's going to happen, but rather be open to the reality of like, what can that pain, that grief bring you? What mm -hmm. can it teach you outside of that initial hurt mm -hmm. that it's going to give? Thank you, Dean, for highlighting what I think is such a powerful word and a powerful concept, which is hospitality, right? And when I hear that word, um, what happens to me is softness, mm. softness, right? One of my favorite topics, other than pain running after us in New Balance shoes, <laughs> is gummy bears as a metaphor. And so that idea of softness mm. and how can we find that softness in us as we open up to that hospitality that you were mentioning, right? And so I heard one of my teachers speak about 
pain using, you know, a ancient Pali word and using the word dukkha. Dukkha means both suffering, but it also means contraction, mm-hmm. right? And so, again, that idea is like, oh, I'm going to run away. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to brace, right? And so hospitality, as you name it, to me is softening, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's why I, you know, I love a good metaphor, just like the, the, a gummy bear has a little bit of texture to it, but it's soft, mm-hmm. right? It's got softness. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we do that, then we're more likely to meet pain with a different mindset. Yeah, we can bend or squish and not break. Right? right? Yeah. And come back to our original gummy right. bear form. Yes. <laughs> There's one that I heard recently, and I mentioned this before to you, Dean. I think it was from Danielle Laporte, um, how she, when she has space, I think a lot of us go into fight or flight or freeze, but when you can pause and have space to be able to treat our pain and our trauma like we would treat our children, mm-hmm. you know, have some patience, have some compassion for our own pain. And I, I've been trying to practice that myself when I'm triggered to take a breath first take a breath, try to pause, and then try to have compassion for my own anger, my own pain, my own trauma, so that I can be soft like the gummy bear to it instead of just get so rigid and angry and and kind of restricts possibility when I react that way. But when I can be soft like the gummy Mm -hmm. bear, other possibilities and avenues to kind of navigate that, that pain or that anger kind of presents itself. Um, so thinking about fight or flight or freeze, um, when we experience trauma, traumatic events, we can, we can feel stuck in our nervous system. And when these triggers happen over and over again, we can kind of relive that stuckness and, and, and not be able to take that step, whether it's backwards or forwards or sideways, we can just kind of feel paralyzed in that reoccurring stuckness of that emotional trigger. So how do we navigate that experience with pain? Uh, How do we welcome it to the table with that hospitality so that instead of being stuck, we can go for a walk together or we can have a conversation together or we can have have a meal together? Well, I think that we've already started to evoke uh, that modality of what are the tools, right? And just by naming them, for example, we're starting to um, create a little bit of a paradigm, right? We're using the word hospitality, space, patience, compassion. So for some of us, that could also be a framework, right? Repetition of words. It could look like writing them down, having them close to us. For some of us that have maybe a different approach, maybe like more sensory motor or like kinetic, like it could be being surrounded by things that are soft and spacious and, you know, that evoke that sense of hospitality, right? So it could be like having a stuffy or gummy bears or hospitality hosting Mm. friends, right? Um, it could be more somatic. And so noticing what happens if I let myself indulge in a thought of the future. Ah, 
up or <laughs> of the past, right? And noticing that contraction and then somatically softening the body, right? Tensing and relaxing. So I, I don't know if I'm answering the question in a way mm -hmm. that you wanted, but it's like, okay, we're already designing, I'm really another passion. Another passion, pain, gummy bears, another passion is maps, mm. right? We're already designing a map. We're saying pain is inevitable, pain is contraction, pain is something that we want to run away from. And uh, then Dean, uh, you know, brought up this idea of hospitality. And here we are designing this framework and saying, well, there's different entry doors to that hospitality. And mm -hmm. some of us will feel called by one way or, or the other, right? And to move, like you said, from fight, flight, freeze. There's also our friend Fawn, right? Trying to uh, appease people and move more into a tend and befriend, right? So tend and befriend is hospitality, is gummy bearness, mm. right? Who, who doesn't like gummy bears? I love that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's Nobody. someone that I'm having a meal with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spaghetti with gummy bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's vegan, yeah, right? that's right. It brings joy and mm -hmm. it's healing. Yes. It reminds you of the paradigm that we're writing down, the map. Yes. Yeah. So win, win, win. It's one of those paradigm shifting ideas of like how to navigate pain. Um, I remember reading uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and that was like a real um, light bulb moment for me to understand suffering that, um, you know, to summarize in, in less than words, he talks about we're all going to suffer, but only we can choose how we suffer. Nobody else can control our suffering, or in this case, we're talking about pain. Mm -hmm. um, and we always have the choice of, of how we suffer or how we experience pain, and nobody can take that away from us. And, mm -hmm. and um, that was really like a, a pivotal kind of line for me, like, oh, like, you know, if I have the capacity to, I can suffer and joyfully. Uh, I can suffer compassionately. I can suffer hospitably. Um, so I think the the trouble that I always have is is finding that space to like kind of acknowledge and and take those steps so that I can choose my own suffering versus the the fight flight freeze or uh, fawn or fawn. Um, but I think acknowledging it, talking about it, and then trying to practice it for myself have been like kind of the first steps. Um, so for, your, for yourself, when people come to you and they're really stuck in that, that suffering and that pain, um, what is that first gummy bear, that first gentle nudge that you can kind of suggest so that they can have those hospitable feelings towards their own struggles? Mm -hmm. Well, in my work as a, as a psychotherapist, as a counselor, um, I think that the first initial step is self-awareness, mm. right? And I heard an expression that really stuck with me a few weeks ago that says that self-awareness is the workbench of the mind. Self-awareness is the workbench of the mind. I like that yes. because it's like... Oh, a, a workbench. We get to do something and, you know, transformation is possible. Mm -hmm. Right. So in my work, the first 
compassionate and kind things thing that we would do is a little bit about what Dr. Kennedy was talking about. I call it detective work, right? So we go back and we look at what is what is the story, right? Mm. What is what could be the core, the origin, floating back to earlier times in your life where you felt something similar or, you know, what, what happened? What's the story? So the, fir- the very first, I guess, compassionate act is that act of detective work and going back, float back to an earlier time in your life and, you know, understanding what is, when is the first time that you might have felt like that and, and how do these fears, how that does this pain in a way try to help you and protect you? What is it trying to do for you, right? So that, that detective work and that bringing the pain onto the workbench is the beginning of a different compassionate view, mm-hmm. right? Two, two things. I love that. And I, I also really love the imagery of the workbench because it, it gives us agency. Like it empowers us lots, lots of times we feel I can't do anything about this and we will turn to a sort of helplessness, which at times is totally understandable and people maybe need to experience that. But it does empower us to say, well, let's start to look and like what tools do you have currently that we can work with to, to start to understand this problem, this pain. Um, so I really, really like that kind of framing of it. Two things that, that I'm curious about are, um, like isolation that we often feel when we suffer Mm -hmm. and that nobody maybe knows, or I can't share this burden with someone else because I don't want to cause more suffering or cause more harm to someone else by sharing what I'm going through. So, so there's often isolation. And I think that some of that isolation is also connected to shame that maybe this problem or this suffering that I'm experiencing, heartbreak, job loss, loss of a loved one, whatever it might be, we can sometimes internalize shame and say, this is my fault. I did this. Even we know with people who have suffered abuse they can often internalize it and say, it's my fault this happened. And so there's shame and isolation that can kind of double down on that. Um, I wonder if you can speak to kind of those, those ideas of how that can, by mitigating those things, alleviating shame, maybe suffering in community or acknowledging, right, the first noble truth of Buddhism, everyone will suffer. There's like a community of sufferers. And it's all of us. And so we can step into the light of that and not feel like we have to hide away with our pain. What, what happens when someone comes in and maybe they have an issue, uh, they want to talk to you about something that they're suffering with, but they feel like they have to go it alone? Hmm. Thank you again for <laughs> this this that you're doing right and again listening to that one episode and I'm gonna listen to many more but that one that you mentioned and I that was the one that I listened to perfect I was just so touched and I want to say proud but not in a condescending way it's like proud and touched that you know Zach is sitting in front of the microphone and he's naming his anxiety right Mm -hmm. there's like a 
beloved member of the community, a highly functioning, successful business person, a dad, an accomplished human being. And he has the courage to say, I experience anxiety. I suffer, y'all. Yes. And I think in that moment, like something magical ha happens in yeah. those that are listening, which is, oh, if Zach suffers, then so can I, right? So there's something there. Mm -hmm. There's something super powerful in that sharing because it takes care a little bit of that shame idea. And then isolation, you know, you're absolutely right, is the most um, like double-side sword because we, because of shame, we isolate ourselves and then that does nothing but increase the suffering. Um, and what we know is, you mentioned that at the beginning, right? Uh, when you spoke about the source, when you spoke about, you know, spirit, and when you spoke about separation, we are creatures of connection. In fact, connection is a biological imperative. We need connection. We need for our children to observe us as we regulate. We need to be together, sitting at a table and break bread. Right? We just need to feed our nervous system with connection. And so it's a little bit about disrupting that double-edged sword that will, because of shame, keep us more separated and that will create even more pain. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's through what I mentioned earlier, the honesty and the authenticity to say, friends, yes, you might see me here, I might be speaking about gummy bears, and I suffer, did I mention that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing when you share, like, um, you know, thank you for, for that beautiful acknowledgement. Um, <laughs> You're very welcome, and, and loyal I'm, listener. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm someone that, like, will often uh, bury my vulnerabilities or insecurities because... I don't want to burden others or I'm scared to share it um, or various other reasons. But in the community, you know, like Dean's one of the people that I share with. I always feel so much better mm -hmm. once I speak that truth or that experience um, out loud with others. And it's like, oh, like I should have done this years ago or, you know, with more people because I feel so much better now that mm -hmm. I've talked to one person about it or in a group about it and, Often it is those surprises that like, you know, I, I have all these people on a pedestal and, you know, through the podcast or through community, I've got to meet some of the people that I look up to and to my surprise, oh, wow, they also have anxiety or they also have, you know, struggles or have dealt with depression and it just makes it, the, it makes the path to healing approachable for myself, okay. knowing one, taking it, voicing it, and, and sharing that with others. And two, knowing that it's not a singular thing. Like, uh, it might feel singular when you're experiencing it on your own, but it's not a new emotion or new experience that other people haven't also experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a little story. A couple yes. of years ago, yes. before time before the pandemic, I was doing 
some 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 training, some workout training with um, um, a personal trainer in our community, Aaron De Young, that you might oh, know, yes, sweetest Aaron. Shout out to Aaron. The yeah. sweetest. <laughs> shout out to Aaron. And uh, you know, I arrived uh, and we sat down. We would have just a little chat before working out, and I don't precisely remember what I said, but I said that you know, well, I was heartbroken that day and that I was feeling really haunted by the future and that I was uh, just just very unsettled. And he looked at me and he said, you, Hiro, I thought you had all of your ducks in a row. And I felt incredibly sad that I had led Aaron to think that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like, I am so sorry, my friend, that I led you to think that. Mm. That is a disservice and I want to disrupt that myth immediately let's just be very very clear that's 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 a myth um, and so i think about that story of me and aaron and debunking the myth that yeah. hero doesn't suffer we, she we, does. we all suffer <laughs> we all experience pain um one thought i had when you were talking about the detective work i love that um i was thinking that um a fish doesn't know it's in water right and i think like in doing that detective work we don't necessarily have language for these experiences or these feelings when we're, we're younger. So that trauma that can get stuck, those separation anxieties, I think that detective work is necessary because I think when you're three years old, four years old, five years old, you don't know that you are experiencing anxiety. Your body does, but intellectually, you might not know that you're having anxiety or fear or... Um, you know, any of these triggers. Um, so it takes that detective work to go back and kind of revisit your childhood or revisit your youth to kind of understand those experiences that you had as a kid um, that you're potentially reliving in your adult life. Just like the fish doesn't know it's in water, you didn't, you might not have known that you were experiencing pain or anxiety or any of these, these triggers that you are, that can be reliving as mm. an adult. Yeah, taking the fish on the workbench, but that would not be a good metaphor. Yes, yes, poor fish. <laughs> taking the fish bowl onto the workbench. Doesn't know it's in water, but it wants to be in that water. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, so we do the detective work, and we start to uncover these triggers and um, start to take steps towards understanding ourselves, steps, steps towards... Um, thriving and, and feeling like a more fuller version of ourselves. Once we start to understand those trigger points, what, what do we do with that? After the relentless detective work, yes. you know, and journaling and writing it down and trying to really build a map, right? I often think that um, when we navigate a very complex territory, it's just so useful to have a map. Mm -hmm. Right, go to Cyprus, go to Seymour, and you have just a little map. So useful, yes. right? So that detective work, if it can be mapped, right, and by means of finding um, core beliefs, for example, what we might call schemas, systems of belief that generate from our story, right? Oh, at three. You know, I saw my mom cry after an interaction. I might have created that schema, that system of belief that I am bad, right? Or the parents were screaming and I didn't know what was happening. I might have created a story, a schema around I'm not safe. 
And if I map it in whatever shape or form, you know, I love to draw, but it could easily be a spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, a Google sheet. I love those. Yeah. Um, and just have it on that workbench. So that's, that's that one step. Second step is we go back to that second degree compassion, second degree hospitality. And now this is where we meet our stories, parts of ourselves with that compassion, with that hospitality mm. as well. And so recently I have become very, very intrigued by a um, therapeutic modality called IFS, Internal Family System. And the name already contains the word family. It already makes me think about hospitality. And then I learned something that I really like and I want to also change it and improve it because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but what IFS provides as a framework is this idea that we have parts inside of us. The origin of that part is our childhood right, or is our story. We might have a part that wants to defend ourselves. We might have a part that wants to criticize and judge. We might have a part that is um, isolating, right? So these tendencies, it's so useful uh, to see them as parts, as we call them sub-personalities, as if they were little characters. And since both of you have young children, maybe you might think of the movie Inside Out. And if mm -hmm. you haven't seen it recently, I love that movie, right? This idea that we have little characters that are, you know, doing things inside of us. And then what do we do? Well, there is that recipe over and over again. How do we meet these parts with that same hospitality and kindness, right? And so asking the question to the critic, to the one that's saying, Hiro, you suck, you are just so, such a, I don't know what my critic might say on a good day, but evil <laughs> stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Evil stuff, Hiro, you're, uh, you know, so your accent is so strong and you're like incompetent. Yeah, I might say something like this, you're incompetent. And so the hospitality, the softness would be meeting that, part, meeting that critic and ask, hmm, what are you trying to do for me? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're trying to do for me? Right? And so there is that gummy bearness, that softness, as opposed to like, I am so F up. Um, I am so flawed. I should fix this critic. Look at me. I'm a meditation teacher. I should ha shouldn't have these internal voices. As opposed to, wow, I'm meeting the critic. What is the critic? What are you trying to do for me? Mm. Right. Yeah, I've heard that. Even even coming back to, I mean, this isn't just a plug for Russell Kennedy, <laughs> Doctor Russell Kennedy's <laughs> episode. But in his, like, we talk Russell. about the, the the alarm bell of mm -hmm. of our anxiety, and mm -hmm. I've I've heard him and others talk about it, where people, when the alarm bell is ringing all the time and it's chronic, it's it's awful. But being able to take the moment and say, no, 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 thank you, anxiety, but I actually don't need to be alarmed in this situation. So thanks for working, but you're okay now. And like, you can almost speak mm -hmm. to your anxiety. Like it's one of those inside out mm -hmm. characters and, and acknowledge that what it's trying to do is a good thing. Alert you of a, of a potentially harmful or dangerous situation, but actually I'm safe right now. Mm -hmm. And that event that I'm replaying, that's making me feel anxiety 
it's not, it can't do anything to me. So thank you, but no thank you right now. Mm. Right. And, and I think being able to do that with some of our other emotions and feelings and the critic mm-hmm. saying, okay, yeah, I don't need to believe what you're saying, but mm. is there something in there where I can take away to, to move into a more holistic, well-rounded version of myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something there, but you don't have to believe that you're the worst and you're always this Mm -hmm. and every time you're this, right? Mm -hmm. But to say, how can I welcome this and, and, and receive it, but not be flattened by it? Yes. And it could be even lazier than that. Mm. (laughs) Even softer than that. Even taking away that part when we say, no, thank you. Even saying, yes, thank you. Right, I, right. You know, I, I meet you here where you're judging me. Mm. And let's sit here and let's not even want to change that without your permission. Right? Let me just hear it all. And for you to critic, to hear that at no point in this conversation, I will ask you to leave. Mm. And in hearing that, guess what? the critique will do, will soften. We're like, oh, okay. (laughs) There's no fixing. There's, you know, it's already here. Yeah. It's already enough. Can can I tell you a story about one of my favorite Italians that this is making me think of? I love a good Zach story. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one of my athletic heroes that I looked up to growing up was Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, he's played for Team USA, but grew up in Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget which player was telling the story, but uh, they saw Kobe out for dinner. And they said, hey, Kobe, like, can I sit with you? And he said, no, this, my table's full. There's, there's, but the guy only sees Kobe Bryant sitting there. And he thinks, what an asshole. Like, he like, won't let me sit with him. And uh, later on, he as he gets to know Kobe, he... Kobe would go out for dinner with his various personalities and he would order dinner for, you know, he had the black mamba, which was like the killer in him. And he had these other kind of personalities where he would make space for them at dinner and he would have conversations with the various forms of himself. And like, you know, he'd do these in restaurants where you kind of could look like a crazy person, but that's just like owning that vulnerability, that uh, truth, that, you know, we all have these these different personalities that are having different conversations within us. And he would sit down and he would, uh, you know, as we're having this theme of hospitality, of sitting with our, with our pains and our triggers, like Kobe Bryant would literally do that. He would sit down and have dinner with, okay, you know, I'm feeling angry about this. I'm going to have dinner with it. I'm feeling like... I need to channel this version of myself. Okay, I'm going to have dinner with, with this person tonight. And he'd sit by himself, but he'd be having dinner with all of these dialogues that would be going on within him. That is so brilliant. Isn't that? I know that after the podcast, I'm going to go at the food truck cafe and I'm going to order three or four lattes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right? And sit with all of those. Parts. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> What do you have to teach me? I, I love that. I, I, that's such a great <laughs> such story. A I hadn't story. heard that before. Yes. I love yeah. that. I mean, he was such a student of uh, everything, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and I think 
himself and some of the masters that we look up to, you know, stayed curious with themselves, with, you know, their teachers, uh, had that kind of growth curiosity mindset of, of trying to continue mm-hmm. to stay curious and, and learn. But, uh, I just love that image of, you know, seeing someone sitting at a dinner table with themselves with, you know, four plates set, four meals, and just like really having a conversation with yourself to to know yourself better. That's mm. right. And once again, how powerful to hear such an accomplished, successful athlete, you know, n- naming, naming pain, yes. right? mm-hmm. naming parts. Uh, but I think that's good. It, it brings me back to something I wanted to touch on with the story you shared about, you know, your, your kind of pre-training sesh with Aaron and, <laughs> and, you know, we can look at these people who are like a Kobe Bryant, like superstar, um, incredible athlete, like I it was too warm, but I was wearing my Kobe long sleeve shirt earlier today. And like, he's just, he's the best, right? Like his legacy is so good, not because he was great at basketball, but because of things like that, right? Like he, these little stories where he really leveled up as a person. And even for you here, I like to, to have this encounter where with Aaron and be like, Oh, well, like you, you've got it all together. Like, what are you talking about? At, at what point do you think there's a shift where, we live in a way where we want people to think we've got it all together. Cause I think there's a lot of us that do that. We want people to perceive, yeah, my ducks are all in a row. I'm all right. Things are good. And we put that out there. It's our persona, maybe to use like a, a Jungian kind of expression, right? That's what we put forward facing to the world. When in reality, we're not as you know keen or clean as we look on our Instagram feeds. And then to get to the point where you can say to Aaron, no, no, I'm sorry. Let's bust that myth. Like that's not true at all. That just because I have these experiences and I take up space and do this work in the world, that doesn't mean that I'm this perfect version. And and someone like Kobe, who people look up to, can go out to dinner in public and order these meals for the t- the different you know things in himself that he's working on. How do we get there? Like mm-hmm. how do we get to the point where we're not trying to perpetuate the myth that we've got it all together but we're trying to bust the myth and say no like me too i'm suffering Mm -hmm. i'm struggling because i think that's like a big shift Mm -hmm. to own and to to have the hospitality to welcome it for ourselves but also the vulnerability and bravery to share it with others what i felt in that moment was that i was doing a disservice to Aaron. And so if I am really deeply and authentically rooted in love, and I'm not just talking about it, I will feel that the real work, uh, the real work of love (laughs) is uh, to let people in into the path that really works, which is authenticity which leads to real connection. Because in that moment where we are at his little studio and we're now letting the ducks go rogue, <laughs> something different happens, right? We are really together as humans. We're yeah. not just letting our Instagram profiles meet. We are together in love. Mm. We are re- rooted in, in something that has a real potential to touch one another as opposed as just, you know, looking 
cool with the cool cats. Right. Aaron would, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, lets us, it lets us experience that thing that you were talking about earlier, that biological innate need for us to connect, mm-hmm. to have community, to have relationship mm-hmm. with one another and, and not just surface, but true, meaningful, you see me and you know me and you're still here kind of relationship, right? I think that's so valuable. A little bit of what most probably you're doing in school with your students, mm. right? On my good days, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so going back to the workbench, so mm. I like that kind of image of having this workbench. And on the workbench, I, you know, there's usually lots of different tools mm-hmm. that we can use to, to build foundations and homes and all these wonderful things. Um, I know some of your tools are, are meditation and, and mindfulness. And, um, you know, I've just kind of reading some of your words here with, with mindfulness, we become truly aware of the present moment, better able to tell the difference between what we can change and cannot change, and then to focus on our attention on the things that we can change. You know, I love that idea because I, I feel we focus so much maybe because it's an easy distraction on the things that we can't change, you know, whether that's politics, you know, who the president or the prime minister is or, you know, things that are really out of our control and we don't focus on the things that are within our control that we can change. Um, Can we kind of pivot this conversation to talk about these tools of mindfulness and meditation and how they can create kind of fuller, more actualized versions of, our, of ourselves? Absolutely, definitely. It's a, it's a pivoting, but it's also like adding and expanding onto that map. Yes. Right? So there's the workbench. There's our, there are the things that we've discovered through that detective work, things of our past, most probably, and these parts that are trying to do things for us. And we're not even telling them, no, don't do that. We're saying, yes. Yes, show me more, tell me more, right? And we discovered that underneath there's maybe wounds and things that they are protecting us from. But truly, that who is asking those questions at the workbench, that is that one that is saying, what are you trying to do for me? That one that is transporting the material onto the workbench and grabbing the tools, that is us in connection with the source. Let's just let's just go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go. <laughs> right? It's um, what is it? Let me just check in with myself mm-hmm. and find it for a moment. That one that is leaning towards these painful parts and voices and trusting that sense of hospitality and trusting that care and that love is us when we are connected to um, creation, to what earlier philosophically we called the chubby one. (laughs) (laughs) to what you call the source or spirit. In other words, um, the tools of a practice of contemplation, of um, presence, 
of connection with what is around, of nature, um, allows, allow us uh, to then be connected with that sense of something bigger than us, right? And so what I know to be useful from an operational standpoint is I go back to the past, find what's unbearable, bring it to the workbench, and by doing that, I make it a little bit more bearable. Because like you said, there's agency, I see it, I bring the fish with the fishbowl, <laughs> you know, and I see things. So from unbearable to bearable, I know that I'm connected with others that also suffer, Zach suffers, Hiro suffer. That's, you know, encouraging to have that common humanity. So from unbearable to bearable, and then the next step, otherwise just bearable will be a little bit limiting, is I move into what's meaningful, right? And so what's meaningful is um, that, a capital L, love, is that capital S, a spirit, is that capital S, a source, mm. right? And so the tools of mindfulness are tools that allow us to, what can I say in a way, the word declutter comes to mind, but that's a little bit mundane, uh, but let's go for it, you know, um, clean and hold and um, evoke uh, beauty. Mm. Does Cle that make sense? Clears, clears out the things that don't matter as much to the, give clarity to the things that are important. You know, love, source, spirit, family, you know, the things. It, it, it's funny that, uh, you know, my brain can have all this clutter, all these distractions, you know, and, and there are practices, whether that's meditation or breath work or mindfulness or for myself running or exercise that kind of allow me to declutter. And it's amazing that when I have clarity, it is always those things. It's like quite simple, those recipes, like... I want to be love. I want to feel love. I want to connect source. I want to be with my family. I want to eat well and sleep well. Um, when there are practices or tools on that workbench, like the moments of clarity are usually the same. Mm -hmm. mm. So maybe we can dive into those those things, into into love, into source, into spirit, into the chubby one or God or, or the universe or whatever, you know, there's different words or languages that mean similar things for different people. Um, maybe we can get into some of those, those big, those big, those big topics. Yeah. Big topics. We have big D in here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A big expert of the things. Expert. I love chubby that. and yeah. spirit. I love that. The chubby one. I'm going to yeah. start using that. That's such a good, yeah. Yeah, we should give some reverence to your listeners. Yes. Yeah. Say the hummel story. Yeah. yeah. Tell Oof. us the hummel story. We got this beautiful hummus here, thanks to Tahiro. Best hummus in Vancouver. <laughs> Hands down. Hands down. It's very delicious. We were sitting out in the beautiful sunshine on the back patio. And Hero had brought some, and so we just quickly started enjoying it and pre-potting, talking about <clears throat> the things we would like to get into and have conversation about. And there was the pain between between the little crostini crackers that we were <laughs> that we were crunching. That pause, waiting for the next bite. Mm. <laughs> 
And then Zach asked me, what is it that makes my heart float? I think you asked something in that on that line, right? Yes. That, was, were yeah, those, what's what's lighting you up, making what's your heart, lighting feel, my heart feel full? What makes my heart feel, feel full? And I said, you know what? Um, I think it's God. I think it's God. And I think it's the chubby one, you know? And I um, think I use different names for that, that shall be named mm. um, I use the word beauty a lot uh, I revere beauty and I see beauty where I go even when I'm heartbroken mm. um, and you know I I think that that's that shifting into what's what's meaningful what what unites us and the, those things that you were saying you know compassion connection curiosity those are the qualities of when we are in a state of being held, mm-hmm. right? Being being well held, being well held. I love, I love, I love that. I love naming God as beauty, mm-hmm. and uh, it makes me think of Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. His quote: "Beauty will save the world." Mm-hmm. And I, a modern theologian who <clears throat> riffs a lot on Dostoevsky, uh, has a has a book, I believe. And often says that phrase, my friends, beauty, beauty will save the world, which he is in the context of Christianity. And for some people, it causes pause because that's counter to the story that they have formed in their mind of what saving means and who or how that is supposed to happen. And he always interjects that the beauty, beauty is the thing that is saving, has saved, will save. And I love that you equate God, source, the chubby one, with, with this idea of beauty. Because really, that's what it is. When we talk about decluttering, when we talk about creating openness in ourselves, hospitality in ourselves to face the hard things and take it to the workbench and be open and connect with others, like those things, really, if we step back, we can look at go and say, that might be hard work, that might take a lot of effort, and there might be some sweat and tears, but those practices are beautiful. Those are things that will create beauty in our lives. And not just aesthetic, obviously beauty, but the true rich sense, full sense of that word. And I'm reminded of every time I see a sunset and, you know, we've seen, hopefully in our lives, we will see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And yet people who see them every day, we still are drawn out to the riverside or to the beach or wherever it is that we might live and watch the sun go down and the pastel colors that light up the sky. And it's the same, but it's different every time. And we're drawn to it. Why? Because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think we're just, we're inherently drawn to things that are deeply beautiful in that way. And some of them are easy, like watching a sunset. And some of them are a lot harder, like taking our anxieties and our struggles to the workbench. But that creates the beauty within us that I think will ultimately save us to use that language, which may even be problematic, but will will help us, will restore or renew us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reunite us. Reunite us. <laughs> yes. And, you know, sometimes you walk down the street, you're looking the opposite way. You didn't even know that it was, you know, sunset time. And you see folks looking all together in the same direction. You're like, 
what is up? What's happening? Where are you looking? What are they looking at? Right? And then you turn your head mm. and that's that moment, right? And I think there's something around um, shared practices of awakening and connection and enlightenment that have to do with that metaphor. Just like, where is everybody else looking? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there it is, that one sunset that is not going to be the same tomorrow, but brings beauty and i and and i think that you're also making a very very super very very important point which is we're not talking about aesthetic all beauty we're also not trivializing um the journey and the path by using a little bit of a disruptive word uh, us and dostoyevsky and the, the word beauty right it's important to um it's important that we started that conversation from pain, mm-hmm. right? And just to, to to remind ourselves that it can be both it, that it's both individual pain and collective pain. It has to do with systems that are, um, y- you know, creating divisiveness and 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 pain and disruption. So I just want to make a point. Um, that we're speaking or hoping to speak about a physio- f- philosophical idea of beauty mm-hmm. other than an aesthetic, aesthetical. Yeah, uh, I 100%. <laughs> it's not about a Prada pair of shoes, okay? Those New Balance shoes, you know, <laughs> chasing us. Yeah. Well, and I think which is why, you know, in when we start to turn and think philosophically and deeply and spiritually about these things, uh, we don't have to have gone to a Sunday school or a religious organization or even seek out some sort of organized thing, whether it is like a, yeah, a, a meditation group or whatever. We can find this stuff in ourselves, in the world around us. But I think that in, inherently, we all know that. We all know this essence, this beauty that is that exists in us and around us that we're drawn to. And so often we see institutions that talk about this beauty and honor it and venerate it are actually perpetuating in many ways the opposite of that thing. And they take something that is so vast and so big and they narrow it and put restrictions on it. And the thing that they would hold as most beautiful becomes a a tarnished version at best of that ineffable beauty that should be democratically available to everyone everywhere all of the time. And I feel like religion can sometimes bind, right? The, the Latin root, religaro, to retie or to rebind. It can rebind the thing that was supposed to be loosed in the first place. Make a drop for Dean. Yes, <laughs> yes. <gasps> what do you add to that? Nothing, nothing. That was so eloquently, mm. beautifully said. Thank you, yeah. Not to, I don't think I can follow it up, but so <laughs> one, one thing I was thinking about as we introduced this idea of the, of the chubby one of, of God or source, and we talked about, um, you, I'm gonna, I think of the Buddha when I say the chubby one, you know, like, uh, cause he kind of, <laughs> the image is the chubby one. Um, but you mentioned, you know, heartbreak or being broken and I previously, I'm just thinking out loud here, but, um, these aren't fully formed thoughts, but we were talking about. <laughs> Victor Frankl and how we can own our suffering. Um, but I was thinking about how being broken can also be beautiful if we can have that pause. And I was thinking about 
Um, the, I might butcher this, but the Japanese have this this practice called uh, kintsugi, uh, where they will repair the golden repair. As uh, the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by managing the areas of breakage with uh, with a liqueur that's dusted or mixed with powdered gold, so they take this broken thing and it becomes the most beautiful. Um, so I was just I was kind of thinking about this as we we're talking that if we can have that space on our toolbox uh, on our workbench to to pause that uh, you know heartbreak pain the things that break us can have the capacity to also be beautiful. And and I guess to take it further that, you know, the source, the chubby one God is in love, but is also in that pain. And how do we find that connect to, to go from the pain to the beauty, knowing that they are both experiences, spiritual experiences. The other thing that I have in common with the, at this stage, so many times mentioned Dr. Russell, um, he mentioned that his papa, if I correctly remember his dad, he suffered of schizophrenia. I, I was raised with my sibling, my brother, who suffers, has been suffering for the last 30 years now of um, deep schizophrenia and and paranoia, and uh, he was very, very violent as we as we grew up. And you know, part of my uh, you know m- those schemas and that 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 uh, you know those characters that part of the pain mm-hmm. comes from you know being in the presence of somebody that was so unsafe to be around. And yes. My vase, my the ball of who I am, wouldn't be uh, as it is if I hadn't been, I hadn't had that experience. Mm. If I didn't know what it feels like to be scared, what it feels like to see somebody being so disconnected from reality, if I didn't. Um, if I hadn't experienced that heartbreak and so forth and so on, uh, right? And I, I'm sure that for Dr. Kennedy, what he said was 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 something similar, right? Mm-hmm. And so those breaks allowed you to to become have the map, have the healing that you have to today. meet the other person in beauty. Yes, with a beauty that is that is, that is profound, with a beauty that is honoring. A beauty that is uh, anything between sharing hummus in the sun mm-hmm. to holding somebody that has lost everything, mm-hmm. right? And is in that holding um, in in that capital L. Yeah, love. I love it. It's the. It makes me think of the the song anthem by the priest poet Leonard Cohen. Right, <laughs> ring the bells that still can ring. There's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. <sighs> so good. Wow. Right? <laughs> He's so good. You've got some good quotes today, you know? <laughs> But it makes me think, and I know, you know, um, unfortunately, we're going to have to start to like wind this conversation down. But I wonder, here are your thoughts on the unnameable yet nameable <laughs> divine source god chubby one <laughs> is 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 that 
loving, beautiful source energy in our suffering, part of our suffering, separate from, is it all together? Do we, do we, do we find, do we find God? Do we find love and beauty in our suffering because of our suffering? Are they separate? I'm just wondering how you would, how you would acknowledge that or, or, or help people maybe understand in their own minds suffering is something separate from or is God source wrapped up in that with us? I definitely would love to do a little bit more of thinking about it. I think it's a very deep question. But what comes to mind in this very moment is that in a way there's a little bit of a separation of degrees and I feel like there is a separate entity which is me as divine me as chubby <laughs> me as connected to the source and when i am able to habitate that space that dimension that level then i am holding pain in a way that is graceful and mm. and, and 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 spacious and possible and so to me, but I'll, I'll, I'll think about it uh, for the next 50 years. Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> it feels like they are, they are not the same. And when I am in that space of godliness or godfulness, um, then I am a separate entity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's but no. it's 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 a big, big big question. <laughs> so kind of staying on this, and I, I I think we'll have to have a part two at some point to <laughs> further explore this holy chubby one. But um, I love this re reword of the chubby one. It's, it's so good. It's so nice. Honestly, <laughs> when you're pursuing this relationship or in relationship with with Holy Spirit, the universe, energy. What does that relationship feel like for you? What is that pursuit or that connection, that experience? What what does that feel like for you? How do I pursue it or or how does it manifest in my heart? Yeah, how does it how does it manifest in your heart? Mm You too, such good questions. Um, I am a very visual thinker, and so it would manifest in my heart as sun glimmering on the water as I am waiting to meet you both in Steveston, um, as jewels. Um, in Italian, the word gioia means both joy and jewel, mm. so that's a good one. Um, it would manifest as levity and possibility and meaning, um, warmth, radiancy, buoyancy is another good one, right? Um, and the tools that I have to visit that dimension are the tools of definitely spending time in nature, uh, in the cold, cold ocean. How cold is the ocean in, Vancouver, in Canada? Yes. The cold, cold ocean, um, trees. Um, I am not super big in psychedelics. I know that some of us do find, you know, through ontogenic exploration of medicines, unfortunately having that 
you know, schizophrenic legacy in my DNA. I have to be very careful, but, you know, maybe a little bit of microdosing would be more uh, suggested that way. Um, I find that in my heart through connection and, again, through mm. authenticity and deep care, yeah. you know. Mm. Have I answered? Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the connection. Questions. I mean, going back to the start of the conversation, I think that's the connection we're always all looking for, you know. I think to for my own journey to heal myself, I'm trying to find, you know. Mm, what are you trying, trying to, to find? find Tell us. Trying to find that holiness, that, that spirit in everything, whether it's broken or beautiful. To, to see the spiritual experience in, in everyone and everything. And I think that's trying to remind myself to see the world with that lens so that those possibilities open up. And, and for me, I think it's taking pause, whether that's in meditation or sitting by the river or looking at the sunset to kind of give space for those reflections, those considerations, those allow space for that to come in. Because when I'm busy... And I'm looking at Instagram and I'm looking at Facebook and I'm doing emails all day. Like it doesn't give me the space to experience those mm -hmm. things. So making sure that I create space, even if it's just for a breath to allow those things to, to come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Maybe we wrapping it up with, with that notion of wholeness, right? Wholeness and deep, deep interconnectedness. And I think, you know, part of the work that I do in the capacity of some consultancies that I run uh, have to do also with conversations of social justice and racial justice and many of the things that as folks of privilege, as fish, we, we don't see because mm, of yes. the water we're swimming in. I know that the iteration of social justice frameworks that I am called to offer are frameworks that have to do with that wholeness. And when I am inhabited by that love and that care and that presencing and that reverence to beauty, to the chubby one, then I also know that I am deeply uh, connecting. I am seeing clearly what needs to be disrupted and I do what I can in the scope of my, you know, s s small or big um, what is it? A space of uh, influence mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. to do to do better, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, I I, I lo love to close the conversation again, moving from an idea of individual well-being to a concept of collective well-being, right? And so, in that that word wholeness that you offer, Zach, really touched me, and I'm glad that we can close maybe here. Shalom, wholeness, <laughs> yes. wholeness, peace, wellness, oneness, connectedness, interconnectedness. I love it. Yes. <laughs> well, Hiro, I know this is going to be part one because there's so many more curiosities that I'd love to explore and, and dive deep into and see what other tools are on the workbench to kind of explore and heal with. Um, just wanted to express my gratitude for you and the space that you hold and the community that you create and, and, and the time that you shared with us today for this conversation. 
Um, you may have heard in that episode that you listened to with Dr. Russell Kennedy that we, we have a question that we ask everybody and I'll pass it over to my friend Dean as I always do. <laughs> Sounds good. I feel like your this whole conversation has been an answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. And, and however brief or however much space you would like to take to answer, we called the podcast a little more good, knowing that that's what we wanted to see create, do, and be in the world as we kind of walk and inhabit this space for the time that we're here. Um, but we'd love to know, like, what does that little phrase mean to you, Hero? A little more good. Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, I'm going to take the next 50 years that I have to live to answer that question. But truly, I think that uh, what I just mentioned, you know, as uh, someone that holds uh, undeniable good fortune slash privilege as somebody of white skin, of cisgender identity, of uh, able-bodiedness, of um, middle class. And, you know, to me, that little more good looks like, what can I do with all of that? What can I do with all of that stuff that I have in my pockets, in my purse, in my backpack um, to do a little bit more good, right? Mm-hmm. Exquisite. Because there's so much, so much that can be done in the big substantial things. But I'm also very intrigued about what does that look like in the, in the small daily uh, invisible things. Mm. Have I answered? Beautifully. <laughs> Thank you, friends. Thank you, Hero. This is exquisite. Such a joy. And uh, I'll be thinking of you as I enjoy this incredible hummus and crustinis later on tonight. So thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to uh, future conversations down the line. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. With reverence to Hero and with reverence to the chubby one. We're grateful, one. grateful for that conversation. There we go. Hero, follow her on the IG. Where, where can we get a little more hero in our life, Dina? Yeah, check her out on Instagram at in the van with hero or of course at the lab of meditation. Those are two of her channels where you can, you can get uh, all of the goodness that is hero right to your little handheld device or wherever you consume your content. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Uh, we appreciate all of you listening and, and making it this far. And uh, we appreciate any and all reviews. It helps us spread the word of this podcast just a little more. So whether you're tuning on iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you're tuning in, if you could leave a review, like, follow, share it with a friend. It helps us in the greatest way, spreading a little more goodness in in a big way. So thank you to all of you. And we look forward to tuning in with all of you again next week. Same time, same place. That's right. Stay good, y'all. Peace.